I'm going to go back to some stuff from last week. I want to go back to, we talked about the anointing last week. And um, there's an anointing that's in you. When you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, he comes to live inside of you. And that anointing expands and, and grows inside of you the more you read the word. I, I, talked to, I was talking to Austin. We had a really great conversation yesterday on the phone. And uh, we talked for probably, I don't know, probably an hour yesterday on the phone. And in the process of that conversation, I said, you know, the most important thing a person can do in their beginning time when they accept Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, the greatest thing the church can do is to get them connected with the Word of God at whatever level that they can understand, at whatever, um, whatever translation that they can adapt to and, and receive. The Word of God has got to be the foundational basis of everything. Because what happens to us as Christians is as we grow, we hear interesting things, interesting revelations, interesting thoughts, and they're Christian thoughts and Christian ideas, and we pick up books and we start reading, but we have no foundation from which to pull from from the book we're reading. And quite frankly, every book you pick up is just an opinion and, and an experience of someone else's life. You're not going to stand before the Lord with somebody else's experience. You're going to stand before the Lord one day with your experience. The life you lived. The opinions you have. The ideas that you have transpired and what you believe. That's what you're going to stand before. Not what somebody else believes. On that day, when if, if there's any questions asked, you're not, well, so-and-so said, well, I read somewhere. That, that's, that's, that's not the criteria. What do you believe? I believe the smartest thing a, a man or a woman can do on that day is say, <laughs> Jesus Christ, by his blood, his grace and mercy, I am here today. I have no other, I have no other access into this kingdom but through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing that I have done. Nothing that I have said, nothing that I have accomplished, but only what he accomplished on the cross and in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And now he sits on the throne forevermore, and he is my only. I plead the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Because that's all we got. Amen? That's all we got. So I want to go back, though, because we are, we are anointed because the anointed one lives inside of us. All right, And that anointing on the inside of us is as great as we receive him. That's why you see some people, because it's, it's not in what you know, it's what you believe. Romans tells us, down the Roman road, it tells us that, that it's, it's, it's what we believe. Amen? If a man believes and he confesses, then he is saved. Believing will produce the confession. Confession does not produce the believing. Get that. Confession does not produce the believing. Believing produces the confession. 
and I say that because it's in two areas of, the, of Scripture, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. David said it in the Old Testament. Paul said it in the New Testament. I think as far as characters in the Bible, probably David's one of the most important in the Old Testament. Paul's probably the most important in the New Testament. And both of them said, we believe, therefore we speak. We do not speak to believe, but we believe, therefore, and, and Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will confess, right? So there has to be a believing. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the tongue or with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's why it's so important when someone says, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that we get them to confess that because it's the confession of that. Right? And people go, well, you can't embarrass people. This is not about embarrassing people. This is about confirming something. Something supernaturally happens when you confess. He's done it in heaven, but it has to be performed here on earth. And it can't be performed on earth until it is spoken. Now, God has proved this from the very beginning. Everything you see was spoken in. Why? Out of the belief that God had. God believed and he spoke. And now he says, like the rain and sun, like the rain and snow that falls down out of heaven, so is my word. But it does not return thither. But when it does return, it does not return void, but it accomplishes what it was sent to do. He says it does not return thither, but when it does. Well, what are you saying? Well, I will send it, but it's not in my power to send it back. It's in your power to send it back. And when it's in your power to send it back and you send it back, but you can only send it back when you believe it. Wow. So what I'm trying to help you understand is there's an anointing in you that produces a power that when you speak, it produces, and it's not you speaking it, but it's him speaking through you because you, be, because you have believed. Remember the, the, the man that um, had a problem with a child, and, and he said, he says, he, Jesus said, you only have to believe, and he says, well, help my unbelief. That prayer is probably one of the greatest prayers that we can pray when we are struggling with something that God is trying to get to us. He's trying to deliver it to us, and we're struggling believing it, but we know that there, it's God, but how can... Listen, that's just a trust issue is all it is. And do you know you have trust issues with God? I know we're not supposed to confess that because lightning might come out of the sky or... Something might happen terrible to you if you confess, I have trust issues. It is not a problem for you to go. The conversation has to start somewhere. And one of the greatest conversations you can have with God is getting real with him and saying, you know, God, I, I, I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I know that he rose from the grave. I believe all that. I know you're coming back one day. I know when I die, I'm going to hell or heaven, and because I believe in you, I know I'm going to heaven. I can believe, but God, this thing right here, I'm just struggling with. I, I'm not sure. It's okay for you to start the conversation with, with God. I have real trust issues with you on this. 
Because God already knows you have real trust issues. <laughs> Might as well just get it out there on the table and say, hey, I, I've got trust issues here. And it's okay. You may have preached it, taught it, told somebody, witnessed about it, but when it came down to you, I remember the great, remember the great Smith Wigglesworth. I don't know if any of you know that name, but if you haven't ever read any of his work, man, that is, there's a guy to listen to. Any guy that will go in and march into a funeral parlor, first of all, he had people get upset with him because he would have big meetings. People would come to the altar because everybody wanted him to pray for them because when he prayed for someone, they got healed every single time. Now, if you need healing and there's a guy that every time he lays hands on somebody, they get healed, is that the guy you want to go see? You better believe it. Okay? I mean, he it was so powerful, he stayed at somebody's house and was getting ready to leave after the meetings. And that back then, they, had, you know, they didn't stay at hotels so much. They stayed at somebody's house. And this little woman that he stayed with had a husband that was as honorary as they get. And he was, he was making fun of Smith Wigglesworth at the dinner table. He's making fun of Smith Wigglesworth at the, at the breakfast table. He was making fun of Smith Wigglesworth the whole time they were there, and he was mad about Smith Wigglesworth being there because the wife had given him their bedroom to sleep, and he had to sleep in another room. He wasn't saved, and he didn't like this. He was very frustrated with it. And so Smith Wigglesworth is ready to leave. And the lady says, you can't go. I, I, I opened up my house to you. Because I thought you would come here and my husband would get saved. He said, have you cleaned the sheets yet? No. He says, don't clean the sheets. Just sleep in those sheets tonight. Smith Wigglesworth believed in the anointing. He believed in it was being tangible. He believed in it being leaving a residue wherever he went. He believed in that. He left. The story went on that that night they went to bed. And that man could, he just was burning up inside that bed. Before it's over with, he's on the side of the bed crying out for God to have mercy on his soul and to save him. Nobody was there to preach. It was the, see, you got to believe there's something greater than you in you. And when you shake hands, when you hug, when you, when you go and stay at their, go and have dinner at their house, when you just sit on their couch, when you go and, and hang out in their duck blind, when you go and hang out in their home, you are messing with stuff. And you've got to have, you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Listen. You know the downplay of Smith Wigglesworth? Everyone he laid hands on was healed. And he himself would leave the meetings and pee blood every night. He suffered from kidney stones his whole life and struggled with his own health till the day he died. Do you know why? I can understand it, because as a minister, you, 
you believe for them, but you struggle believing for yourself. Ooh. So let's just get honest. A lot of the church lives with that. We can believe that God will do something for someone else, but when it comes time for God to do something for me, it's because of our self-worth. Ministry is really tough on self-worth. And then God calls people with low self-worth. Remember, he says, I call the weak to, 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 to uh, boggle the mind of the wise. You know, that's what he does. And so we're weak, and we try to act strong. We try to act like we're, you know, but really on the inside, because that's who he calls. Okay? That's just the way it is. Because it keeps pride down. Pride doesn't get, get in. Pride doesn't get an opportunity too much to get in because you're constantly wrestling with this. Amen? So I want you to understand that you have more in you than you realize. And it's not you, but it's he that has chosen to live inside of you. Remember, he has chosen to live inside of you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He chose to live inside of you, and because he is inside of you, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. So there is that anointing on the inside of you, but there is also an anointing that comes upon us. And that has to do with our calling. What we are born to do on this planet, whatever that is. Okay? You were born to be a leader at some level. You might be the leader at, 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 at what is this out here? The mid-trash mid service, mid-county, mid, mid, whatever that is, trash service we have out here. You might be called to work in the trash service, a job that people look at and look down at, but you might be called in that and to rise up inside there and be a leader in there to lead. What, what am I leading? Everyone has the power to lead someone to Christ, and it takes a leadership position to do it, and it takes leadership qualities to do it. And leadership qualities are something you have to cultivate. Leadership qualities don't just come. But the call comes and demands of it. Here's what I, and this is why I'm, I'm coming here, because we have to understand. I, I get very disturbed when people make off-cuff remarks, such as, you do not have to have an education to preach the gospel. Nay, nay, you're going to have some kind of education to preach the gospel. You don't find a boss, you won't find a face boss at a mine that hasn't already had his education. Now, it might have been at Rin Lake College. Now, I don't know if that's the case. Back whenever I was going to college, that's where it was. You got your, you got your education at, at Rin Lake. And that was underneath, you know, Cavender and some of these other guys that had helped build that, that whole thing out there. 
and, uh, and had, had built something for people to learn uh, how coal mining operates. You might have got your education there, but you still had to go down there and shovel a belt. You had to do certain things to climb up the ladder to get your education to be able to tell people. As you get on that face, and there's things that go on there that can, can cost a man his life, and, and if somebody in there doesn't know what they're doing and have some experience, somebody could lose their life in there. All kidding, joking, and, and, and tricks and jokes and stuff, pulling stuff with each other. All that aside, when it comes down to it, it's a very serious business. And inside there in that darkness of that, that regions of that location, you, a man can lose his life and has. And you have, to, you have to have some experience in there. And you want the guy that's got the experience that has the leadership qualities that doesn't make you feel like they're driving, pushing, and shoving you somewhere, but they're actually leading you somewhere. Someone you can look up to. Someone you can say, that was a good boss. That guy right there, I'd follow. I'd follow him into a place and, and that might be dangerous, but if he said it's okay to go, I'll go. That's the kind of person God wants to develop in you, in each and every one of his children. The kind of person that somebody will follow into a thought process that might be dangerous, that, that might be unconventional, out-of-the-box out of thinking, but willing to go because of their leadership qualities and their trust that they have in them and their history and they know what they're talking about. They didn't just show up with an education with a rolled up document and now I'm going to be the boss and tell you what to do. Hello? Amen. How many of you know that hasn't worked the last 20 years? That's why we're, that's why we're where we're at right now. Too many diplomas and not enough experience. When a company's looking for somebody, what are they looking for? Looking for somebody who either has an education, formally education, or has an education experientially. Why are they looking for those two things? Because they're looking for somebody who can stick to something long enough to transition in to their way of thinking. And if you can't stick to anything, they're not. if they train you, it's not going to be for anything big or anything important. Because you've not shown that you can, you can stick to anything. Amen. When you're looking for leaders, you look for people that can stick to something. When you're looking for followers, you look for people that can stick to something. When you're looking for someone at your business, you're looking for somebody who can stick to something. Someone who can toughen it up when remarks are made, statements are said, uh, accusations, and they still stick it out. They can tough it up. Their skin is thick enough, and they still keep pursuing for the, for the end goal. Amen? That is the same thing God is looking for. How do we know that? We know that through the walk that Christ. Remember, everything is looking to Christ. He's the answer. And the first thing we find in history is that Christ hung around the synagogue. Remember when they were going to taxation and they lost him? Well, they found where did they find him? At the synagogue. What was he doing? He was giving them answers. He was confounding them. So he was still the son of God, but he was sitting underneath the Pharisees and Sadducees of that day. We find out that in history that Christ went on to be schooled there 
throughout his 20s. He was schooled in that. How do we know that? They called him rabbi. The Pharisees and Sadducees called him rabbi. You don't get that title unless you have a diploma. They don't just call you rabbi. The frustration they had was, this rabbi is thinking outside the box. He's teaching outside the box. His thoughts and his teachings are dangerous, and they're followed with miracles to confirm what he's saying. That's a problem. They didn't realize that they were talking, actually, to the voice and word of God himself manifested in flesh. They had no idea. That was hidden. They were blinded of it. Sticking with their religious, but Jesus, even though they were sticking with their religious, Jesus submitted himself to them in the natural. Oh, I'm grace. I'm not sitting underneath anybody that doesn't preach what I preach. You're going to have to learn something. You're going to learn it either through experience or you're going to learn it through education. Jesus chose to learn it through education. He was looking now for confirmation. He had reached 30 years of age and he went down and before he went down to see John the Baptist, John the Baptist had already went before the leadership. They're wanting to know who you are. Are you the Christ? Are you him? Who are you? You're baptizing people. And John let him know. There's coming a man I'm going to baptize. John the Baptist and John the writer here, two different Johns, both of them had been given revelation that the man that's baptized when the Spirit comes down on him and rests upon him. That tells me the Spirit came down on others, but he didn't rest on others. He said on the one that he comes down and rests on, that one is the Son of God. That's, that's Emmanuel. That is Jesus with us. That is the Christ, the coming King. That is him. And John witnessed it, John the Baptist witnessed it, and so did um, Jesus. And the confirmation in two or three witnesses, amen, they knew this is the Christ. Jesus came down, he wanted to be baptized, and John said, oh, no, no, no. He said, this has to happen. This has to happen. This, this, I'm already called, I know that I... I I don't have my calling yet, but I am called. He, Jesus does all of this not for his benefit. He does it for ours. He's showing us what it takes to take on something for him. Everybody good? He shows up, he gets baptized. He comes up out of the water, and what happens next? 
the dove descends upon him, and a voice from heaven comes out. In one passage, Jesus heard it. In another passage, everybody around heard it. All right? So it was confirmed. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, another time Jesus has this same thing take place, a second confirmation at the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? Remember who goes with him, Peter and John? They show up at Mount Transfiguration. I think it's interesting who he takes with him. One who has a revelation and, and, and can't get past the law. And another one who's completely free of it and absolutely in grace. Takes both of them. And that time God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. All right? But watch what happens after Jesus comes up out of the water. He receives his confirmation. What is the next thing you see happen? Studying all four Gospels, the next thing you see happen is Jesus is led out into the wilderness for testing. What's being tested? He's, his, his, his flesh is being tested. His power is being tested. And his commitment is being tested. His flesh is being tested. Will he succumb to his belly over anything else? His power is tested. Will he try God and do things God doesn't tell him just to show his power by leaping off of a cliff? And then we have the testing of the finances. I'll give you the whole world. His character, his ethics, his, 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 who he is are being tested. Will he abuse any of these things? Come on. We go through a little testing and we're crying out, God, get us out. And God's saying, I got to keep you in. I got to get you through this. You got to know yourself that you are, you are who you are. See, it's one thing for me to believe in you. You got to believe in you. You got to believe that you are who you are. It's vital for me to see. And here's what's awesome is Jesus passed every one of those. We may not pass them with the flying colors that Christ did, but, but my weakness is made strong through him. Through him, I will get through them. Amen? Through him, I am confirmed. Through him, I'm more than powerful enough to do this because it is not I that do it, but he that lives in me that does it. And then Jesus comes out from that testing, and immediately people are following him. Two of John's disciples, right out of the gate, was the first two that followed him. John says, there he is. See, we think John said, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We think that happened at baptism. It did not happen at baptism. After baptism, John, Jesus went straight to the wilderness. After the wilderness, he came out, and then the, the disciples started following. If that would have happened first, those disciples would have tried to follow him into the wilderness, and they did not. After the wilderness experience, that he had to live on his own, by himself, alone with God. God wants to take you to a place that is just you and him. And you and him alone. 
Do you want to know what your purpose is on life, in life, on this earth? You're going to have to get alone with him and him alone. It took 40 days to get this accomplished. And after that, and understand, he was led into that by the Spirit. He did not do that on his own. I, I, get, I, I get struggle with people that are going to go on a 40-day fast. And then they fail in the middle of the 40-day fast. Because God didn't call you in a 40-day fast. Let God call you into something. Not you call yourself because you saw it written somewhere. Or you think that it's going to make you look accomplished in some way. That will not make you accomplished. That will make you a fool. You'll mess up, you'll feel bad, and then you're way back further than what you were to begin with. Don't do that to yourself. Go, like Smith Wigglesworth, lay hands on who he tells you to lay hands on, pray for those he tells you to pray for, and move on. Forget what everybody else says. That doesn't mean you don't have compassion. That don't mean you don't have love for them. But if God doesn't say do it, don't do it. Amen. Because you're only looking at failure, and if you don't look at failure and you see success, you did it in yourself, and now pride rises. You did it. You accomplished it. And folks, let me tell you, either one's dangerous road to, to, to go down. After they started following, Jesus shoots into the, and he says this, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now he's talking about an anointing upon him, not in him. And that is to do something. It's a calling. Remember, the callings of God are without repentance. And God says that to you because so many times when he calls us, Satan is prepared with another plan, and he produces so much failure in your life, you believe you cannot fulfill that call. And God wants you to know, when I call you, it is without, I don't repent about it. What I called you to do, I called you to do, and I will never back off from it. I will never stop. I have an anointing for you to do that. Now, the reason you failed so much is you didn't depend on and you didn't know the road to that calling, and the road to that calling is receive your anointing for it before you do it. Not after, before you do it. That's why God's, if, God, if God's call is without repentance, then the anointing he has to put on you for that calling is without repentance. It's still available. Are you willing to take the road to that first rather than try it on your own first? Okay? So watch this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's preach, preach, preach. He is called preaching, if you look up that word in its actual translation, is a prophetic unction. Prophetic means it's not your words, it's his, put into your tongue. Put into your way of talking. So it's not your words, it's his. It is the prophetic unction 
that brings revelation. It reveals. It opens up. You see things you didn't see before. All right? God has an anointing for you to help people see things like they've never seen before. To see him like they've never seen him before. What did, what did Christ come to do? To preach a message different from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, different from the law, so that they could see who God was for who God was. Not what God demanded, but what God had to offer. Not what God wanted you to give, but what God had to give to you. You see the difference? That's what Jesus came to do. And he was anointed for it. And guess what? That anointing on earth only lasted three years. The anointing has an expiration date on it. That anointing. I'm anointed to do what I'm doing. Revelation takes place in you all the time just by me speaking. It has nothing to do with me that has to do with the anointing. But there will come a day when the call in my life, if you'll look at all the giftings after, after the fourfold ministry gifts, when we look at those fourfold ministry gifts, there's still another 21, 22 gifts. And in that is teaching. But he's got teacher, preacher over here, teacher, pastor over here, but he's got teacher over here. Why? Because you can be anointed to be a teacher and called to be a teacher, but not be a pastor teacher. And I know that after the anointing, I know there's a day. My expiration date is there. There will come a day at High Point, if Jesus tarries, somebody else will be here and probably do much greater work than I've ever done. Because I understand what my job is. And I understand what your job is in, in your part of being a part of this ministry. It is to lay the foundations for something to be built. And that next person will probably do far greater things than I've ever thought about doing. I hope that they do. But I'll still probably be hanging around some of you old fogies. Because that's what I'm an old fogie. And, and I'm not an old fogie, neither are you. But, but you see what I'm saying? I'll still be hanging around you. And we'll still be teaching a class of some kind because many of you will not be able to, I'm just going to tell you the truth, you won't be able to acclimate to the next guy. Ain't that the truth? That's just the truth. But I'll hang around so that you stick around. Amen? And we'll keep something growing in our age group while this other is just taking off. Amen? Because my time as leader has an expiration date. Do I know what that expiration date is? No. But I can watch other leaders when their expiration date is over. <laughs> and you go, man, it's time for you to sit down. I mean, you need to stop. You know, you, you, a guest speaker once in a while, but every single Sunday, you got to stop. You're driving us all to tears. Have you, you, you're smiling because you've seen it, you know, barely able to get up there, sit down and can't remember his notes and starts talking and nobody's getting anything. Guess what? He was anointed at one. Some people will say, oh, but you could have heard him when he was younger. 
My goodness, he could preach the gospel. Man, he was awesome. His anointing had an expiration date, and he didn't realize it. And he's still trying to serve out milk that went out of date five years ago. We have to recognize this. Earth, this life, is temporal. So we grab a hold of what God's called us to do, and we, and we take hold, we receive that anointing, and we do it with all that we have within us until the date is over, and then we can go on and we can continue in the calling, but we're not doing what we once were. Amen. All right? So what we see in this is the commitment, the commitment level. That Jesus proved that he had a commitment. There's a commitment level, folks. You can't decide to do something for the Lord and your heart is only halfway in. Has to be 100% in. Everything that Pat and I do, every decision we make, everything, including this new decision, this new embarkment of what we're doing now in management, uh, in, in our business, every decision was critically, we broke it down and, and just, just studied it out because this right here comes first. Not what we do out there. This is what God called us to do is the planting of this, the management of this. And this comes first beyond everything. Does what God is calling you to do, does it come first? Or is it a hobby? If it's a hobby, it was after that testing of their, his commitment that he was able to stand up and say, today, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in, in your ears. I'm anointed. What was Jesus' first and foremost priority to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to preach the good news to the poor. What's good news to a poor person? What's good news to a poor person? You don't have to be poor no more. What's good news to a person who's sick? Healing. What's good news to a person who's, who's broken and lonely? You're not broken and lonely anymore. You're healed and restored, and, and, and I'll bring you friends. What, what is, see, that's what we're called to do. All of us are called to do that. All of us need to receive our anointing to do that. All of us need to recognize what, where our priorities lie. God will take care of everything else when we put our priorities at him first. What is it about? How, it's about the why. It's coming up everywhere. We were watching a, a, a commercial yesterday, and uh, Pat said, my gosh, Dean, you mentioned that. And, and I said, honey, I mentioned it. She just didn't hear it a few years ago. I talked about the why. I, I didn't come up with this, but I listened to a, a motivational speaker, a leadership speaker. He actually, he actually molds leaders. And he said, it's not what we do. It's not how we do it. That's what we talk about. 
what we do and how we do it. Whenever you talk about church trying to get people to come to church, you talk about the what and the how. Every time. How is what time and he preaches and, and the music or whatever. Or the dinner. That's how we do things out here. We like to get together. The what is what we do. Well, he preaches grace. We believe in grace. And da-da-da-da-da. But it's the why that's most important. Jesus let them know why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God do this? Because he loved. That's it. No hooks. No manipulation. No, 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 no. Nothing going to show up later. The question is why? And in this leadership that we've been, I've been listening to, one thing I found out, and I'm learning to, 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 to address it quickly. When somebody wants to come up and do something, my question is why? If it's to hope that our children will show up, that's wrong. If it's so that our children will get an education here at the church, that's wrong. If it's so that we can keep the congregation quiet so we can listen and we don't have to hear over a child screaming, that's wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You can make them work and they can function and flourish. But you will have no holding ground in that until you have the why. And when you have the why, you have the commitment level. You know what the commitment level is? I have become all things to all people so that I might win some. Oh, 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 oh. Because you're not serving God. Now you're serving people. And you become whatever you need to become so they can hear the anointing that is on you. Oh my. See, in our life, they have to, they have to come to us. They have to do what we do. They have to be like us. But Paul said, no, that's not how it works. How it works is I've become all things to all people so that I might win some. He didn't say win them all. But I'm going to win some. You've got to be willing to lose yourself before you ever find yourself. And that means you've got to buckle. We think of it as taking a knee. We think of it as, you know, it's got to be done right our way, whatever. And you know what? None of that matters. A leader, remember I said all of us are leaders. We're leading someone to Christ. A leader has the ability to see the big picture and the end road. 
and whatever we got to go through to get there, then I will, I will take the bumps on the knees to get there because they're probably not going to do it just my way yet. But the, but the principles they will get, and they'll do it their way as long as it's within the parameter of God's way. Hello? And a leader has the ability to sacrifice their way for them to follow. Amen. Why? Because the end result is, is the love that I have for people right now. supersedes, supersedes my desire for it to be done my way. Amen? <laughs> Is that all right today? Everybody good? You're gonna get out. You got out. You're gonna get out and beat them all to to the restaurant now. Okay. All right. All right. You're gonna get there. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Father, show us. Father, show us how to receive that anointing that's placed upon us, that empowers us, Father, for the call that you have on our life, to be the leader around those that you have placed us. Father, the leader, Lord, to lead them to you, a relationship with you. Father, let us realize and be so sensitive to the understanding that we don't have to worry about it being in our power because it's not in our power, it's in yours. And when we feel the weakest, when we feel the smallest, when we feel the least effective, that is whenever you and the anointing is activated and the greatest things transpire and take place. It's when we feel weak. It's when we feel inadequate. That's whenever you do your greatest work. Through our weakness, you're made strong. And Father, I thank you that, Lord, you lead each one of us to that place of influence. Influence is something that's granted to us. And Father, we, we cherish that. May we recognize that our influence is so important for people to hear us and to listen to us and to follow us. Father, if we're a leader, they're going to follow us. They're going to follow us to church. They're going to follow us to, to, uh, to the kingdom of God. They're going to follow us, Lord, into, into, into the battle, Lord, for each other's children, each other's lives, and, Father, for the country that we live in, and, Father, for the county that we live in, and the state we live in. Father, we thank you, God, for the, the future that's coming, coming our way. Father, for this anointing. It's so precious. 
It was so precious that David, in his sin, cried out and said, Please, take not your anointing from me. And Father, you didn't, because it's without repentance. No matter what we do, it's without repentance. And so, Father, we thank you. We receive that anointing. Now show us, Father. Let us know in our heart what the desires are that you've given us. And Father, how we will reach out to those around us. You've given us the power to do so. And Father, I'm sending them out right now this week, Father, to be, to be in the crossroads of those, Father, that they are sent out to be leaders with. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you. Um, we'll see you. We won't see you next week, but I can't make an announcement as to why. But you won't see us next week. I can talk to you, shaking your hand, tell you where we're at. But uh, we will see you the following week. Pat and I will be here. Kurt will be preaching next week. Uh, we love you. God bless you. We'll see you. We'll have a dinner.